Let's turn our Bibles to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. This morning's sermon is entitled, Meditation on the Word. And the reason I'm highlighting the idea of meditation upon the Word is because as Denny Hausman had uh, spoken to us that we are going to monthly memorize a scripture text for all those who are willing. And this month's biblical text, and you can find it there in the narthex, there's a little sign and these little cards, you can just slip, slip in your Bible, is from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, of which we will be studying and meditating upon this morning. Thus, why the biblical text before us. Let us read God's word from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Well, Father, as we study your Word this morning as a gathered body, we ask that by your Spirit you would minister your Word to us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. A meditation. As a society, I don't know if we are very good at meditating on much. We live in a society of clickbait, constantly clicking, click, 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 or just, you know, silently. Always new information, but there's so much information, we do very little meditating. We do very little focusing. M maybe you feel like you're constantly unfocused. If you have ADHD, you're constantly not focused anyhow already needing help all the time to be focused. And the fact is that meditating on the Word of God is actually hard work. To meditate upon the Word of God is hard work. Could it be that we live in a moment, at least in the Western church, in which we as a church know less about the Bible than previous generations for some 500 years? possibility is actually, that's the diagnosis. It appears that biblical knowledge, just a basic understanding of 
Scripture is eroding quite quickly within the church, and not just the church, but within the evangelical church, the church that celebrates the Bible and the reading of the Bible and the memorization of the Bible. But in our generation, it appears that the meditation upon the Word of God is something that has been quickly eroding. In fact, various patterns in our own homes have been quickly eroding, haven't they? The pattern of taking out the Word of God and reading it consistently with our children. That is a discipline that is eroding quite quickly. And soon, it could be gone. And the fact is, we know from Deuteronomy that as parents, we are to do what? We are to talk about the Word of God and God's covenants and God's promises and God's acts everywhere. Not just at the dinner table, but when we rise and when we go to bed and when we're eating together or when we're on the road or in the van going to some sporting event. We are to be speaking the Word of God. We are to be meditating upon the Word of God. But this is hard work. This is hard work. So why meditate upon the Word? That's the first real question. Why meditate upon the Word? What's the big deal? I have my phone, and I can just Google it. If I need to know it, I can simply Google it. Is that how temptation works in your life? You can just Google it? Temptations usually do not start that way, do they? They start in the mind, in the heart, in the affections. But let's hear what the Word of God says about why you and I ought to meditate upon the Word. Psalm chapter 1, the first psalm of the Psalter, begins like this. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law. He meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. And of course, there's the text from Joshua. Joshua about ready to enter the promised land. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. Of course, there was undoubtedly some trepidation. And he is told to be strong and courageous. You remember that? He's to be strong and courageous. And God says this to him in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Do not let this book, he's speaking of the book of the law, the book of Moses, the five, first five books of the Bible. Do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it then you will be prosperous and successful. Psalm 1 and God's instruction to Joshua sound similar, don't they? Actually, almost sound identical in content. So what is the biblical definition of meditating or meditation? What is the biblical definition of it? We see that it's to be day and night. It is to be a, a constant reality in the life of a believer, this reflection upon the very Word of God. 
But what we see in the definition is that it means to recite quietly, to meditate, and refers to, well, an intense study or reflection. This is the, some of the, the way to define it. Or it's someone that's sort of muttering, all scriptures, God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. So the man of God will be fully equipped for every good work. It's like this muttering. Again and again and again as a cow chews its cud. It's a lifestyle, in fact. It appears from Scripture that the Word of God is to be a lifestyle, something that's always near, something, it's never quite from your lips. Or at least that's how Scripture speaks of it. Day and night, I'm not saying it. God's Word is saying it. Day and night it is to form all of our being and why? So that we would produce good fruit. You see that really clearly by the illustration of Psalm 1. You know, he is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. You know, a, a tree doesn't cease to be by the stream of water, right? You, you don't get out of the stream bed and then walk away. You, you stay there. You're sort of planted. So, so you're always near the water. There's the illustration. This is, this is about life. A tree in the desert, apart from a river or a creek, will not survive often. They will die. That's why in California, some of the best vegetation in the drier areas are along the creek banks. Even if they appear to be dry, there's still water flowing underneath the ground. But again, they're planted in that water. And it appears that those who meditate on the on the word day and night are to be planted in the word. They're to have the roots of their soul go deep into God, to where God speaks. Always taking up the vital life of the word, because without water you die. Or the tree dies, should I say. Actually, with us too. Well, spiritually, without the word, you shrivel up and die. And the wind blows you away. No, for the psalmist, for God himself, as he's speaking to Joshua at the very river, right by the Jordan River, going into the promised land, he says, meditate on the word day and night. Joshua, may it never be off your lips. As long as you live and lead this people, may it never be from your lips or from your mind. And so at the end of his life, he can say, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my household, the word of God will never be from my lips or from my mind or lived in my life because it is life. That's how Joshua lived his life, didn't he? It's truly a beautiful story. The ministry of, or should I say, Yeshua. And another guy would take on that name. You know him as Jesus. Yahweh saves. And how does God, how, how does Yahweh save? He speaks, doesn't he? He speaks a good word of good news that is for your joy. 
eternally. And so you would, well, you would be prosperous. Or as verse 17 says of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse, verse 17, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, or thus be prosperous. Or thus be prosperous. Now, for many of us, the meditation upon the word, it's best often when we see it. Or should I say, meditation upon the word well lived. You know, all of us have someone in our life who is a spiritual parent. We all have spiritual. You have a spiritual parent? Some of us, it was our mom. It was our, it was our dad. It was an uncle. It was an aunt. You know, for me, it was Uncle Garrett and Aunt Judy. They were a, a living example of the word. You could see that they meditated upon it because no matter where you were, the way they instructed you as parents or as an uncle and an aunt, sort of like Kathleen Eisenbard, they always pointed you back to Jesus. They always brought, brought it back to Jesus. And here I, you see very clearly that the Apostle Paul was a spiritual parent to Timothy. And God often works most powerfully through example in our life. So who's that example in your life? Who is that parent, that spiritual parent in your life? Have you lost sight of that example? The Apostle Paul does not want Paul to lose sight of that example that he set for him. And that's why he says, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my, and you should pay, actually put my every time, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions, my sufferings. I don't want you to forget this. I want you to see it. That was God living in me. Through what? What's Paul emphasizing here? All Scripture is God-breathed. It's through the Word. But many of us see the Word lived in others. Now, it's very clear for the Apostle Paul that he does not want him to meditate on false teachers, on what they are teaching, or any of us. There's plenty of false teachers. Turn on the television, whip up your iPad, and you'll find all kinds of false teachers. Apostle Paul addresses this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. And in fact, we have been living in the last days since Christ's ascension. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power have, have nothing to do with them. There appears to be that teachers that were in the church that were teaching two different forms of a false gospel. The one was asceticism. Deny yourself of certain things in order to gain spiritual enlightenment. The other was licentiousness. Because of the grace of God, you can live how you want. It doesn't matter. 
But the word of God is very different. It does not speak in such terms, does it? Consistently, it undermines teachings about asceticism, and consistently, it undermines teachings about licentiousness, or I can live any way I want. If, God is, if, if I'm saved by grace, I can live any way I want. But we know that's false. Because the word of God never affirms such an understanding. Only the evil heart of man does that. That does not come from the word. You and I are saved by grace. Are we not? Through faith? And this is not a work of us, is it? But rather it is a gift of God. For you and I are Christ's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. That's Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10. Yes, you're saved by grace, but saved to live for God's glory. Saved to meditate upon his word and do the hard work of a disciple which is another very interesting point, that all of Jesus' men were called disciples in his ministry. Because the disciple is disciplined. So when Jesus calls you to follow him, he's not calling you to an easy life. He's not calling you to live however you like to live. He says, come, follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and die. That message we don't like to meditate upon as much. Because we are lovers of pleasure. Aren't we not lovers of pleasure? Our culture is inundated with lovers of pleasure, aren't we? And by nature, as human beings, we are lovers of pleasure. The Word of God speaks differently. We are to be lovers of God. Godliness is something, it's something of the heart, not something of the externals. It's not about asceticism. And you see in Paul, there's an active obedience and there's a passive obedience, but that's for a later, a later time of reflection or meditation upon the word. But then Paul mentions something else that I think it's very important for us to see. You need to meditate on the life of Lois and Eunice. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, right in the beginning of this letter to Timothy, he says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. I thought this is a very interesting teaching that he, he is encouraging Timothy with, because Timothy is undoubtedly discouraged in the ministry of the gospel in Ephesus. And he's reminding them of two faithful women in his life that shaped, well, shaped everything. Lois was his grandmother, of course, and Eunice was his mother. But these were women of the word, and clearly his father was Greek. That's why he was not circumcised. But I love what Paul says, from infancy, right? From your earliest memory, you heard these things from the word. You heard the prophets. You heard Moses. You heard the psalms sung by your mother and by your grandmother. You heard the word and you saw the word. Meditate on this. You know, brothers and sisters, it is good to meditate on a life well lived for Jesus. And that's why Christian biography can be such a rich investment for Christians. I suggest you read good Christian biography. 
because you can see in a person's life all the trials, the ugliness, the failures, but you can see God's grace being worked out in these men and women. We need these examples, in fact. God himself took on flesh, didn't he? And became a living example of how we are to live. And how did, how did the Lord Jesus Christ use memory? Did he use the memory of the word of God in his ministry? Well, he began his ministry like that, didn't he? He was in the wilderness, and the evil one came to him, tempting him three times. He responded to the devil with the word of God from Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 8. Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Devil, you ain't God, basically. Every. Jesus himself is a wondrous ministry, an example of how we are called to be. How do we respond to temptation? How do we respond to the evil one's assaults? Through the word of God meditated upon. Not only memorized. It's not only memorized because Jesus not only knew the word of God, he applied it. He applied it. So we can memorize the word in Sunday school and forget it completely the next week. That is not biblical memory. That's actually a checkbox. Check. Kids, you know what I'm talking about, right? You, you get it memorized in, in the last second. Oh, my God. Get it done. Oh, checkbox. Got it done. God's not talking about that. He wants the memory of his word to be so deeply implanted in you that you will reflect and think about it. How does this change my life that I'm saved by grace? That I was created to be his workmanship. What does that mean? What does that mean? It's not just about memorizing and getting everything perfectly right for your teacher. It's about knowing God, isn't it? It's about thinking God's thoughts after him. When you meditate upon the word of God, you are thinking God's thoughts after him. How wondrous is that? To think God's thoughts after him? Woo! That's, that's, that's gold. Spiritual gold. And that's what God is instructing us here this morning with. From his word. And Timothy had seen it in the life of Paul. He had seen it in the life of Lois, his grandmother, and the life of Eunice. Living examples of the word lived, sung, laughed, cried. Not just something you memorize, but something you become. It changes and shapes you. And then he continues on in verses 16 and 17, and we're going to reflect on this very quickly. Meditate on God's word for effective ministry. Because remember, the, uh, Timothy is a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he is instructing Timothy, as you look at the context in chapter 4, to be an effective minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this has particular import for us as leaders within the church, but I believe it has particular import for every single saint in the church of Jesus Christ. And the first is all scripture, all graphe, or all writings, it's a way of the New Testament, they would speak of scripture as graphe or writings. But he's speaking particularly of the Old Testament when he says all scripture is God-breathed. It's God-breathed. 
When you handle the word of God for memory, you are not just handling words in the page, you are handling God's word, God's breath. And, and that image is beautiful, isn't it? Because when Adam's body was formed, God breathed into him that spirit, didn't he? And, and friends, you came to faith in Jesus Christ. What happened? What happened? God breathed in you. His spirit, the ruach that hovered over the darkness in creation. Remember that? There were the, the earth was formless and void. And the spirit, the vahoshek, he, the ruach, hovered, the spirit hovered over the waters. And from that came God speaking. When you and I came to faith in Jesus Christ, the breath of the spirit came upon us and we became alive. So this language of all scriptures, God breathed, is so beautiful. And, and so when I take it up, there he is speaking to me. Not only speaking to me, nourishing me, giving me life from his, the deep wells of his love. And the oceans of his love, isn't it? But do we think that when we come to the Word of God? Or have you not even read the Word of God for some time? It's still covering, you know, collecting dust. Oh, pick it up now. Read it today. Don't tarry. Read it today when you get home. It's where God speaks. It's where God breathes. It's wondrous, mysterious how God works. That he can take words from a page but they're living words. And he can shape in us and do in us what is impossible for anyone else to do. I mean, my parents told me to do a lot of things again and again and again and again, and I didn't seem to get the message very clearly. But God spoke to me, and I went from death to life. I went from death to life. So it's so precious even to ponder this, to med upon, meditate upon this. You can hear the psalmist in Psalm 119, 20, 97. Oh, how I love your law. I meditated on it all the day long. Or I lift up my hands to your commands. He's praying, which I love and I meditate on your decrees. They're on my lips. And I think what's very important for us to see in the text is when he says all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, we stop there, he's speaking of teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ from the Old Testament. There are people, I've heard teachers within the evangelical church saying about the Old Testament that it's difficult to understand, that it's opaque. I beg to differ. Jesus used it constantly. Paul used it constantly. The very first sermon on Pentecost were all mostly quotations of the Old Testament from Psalms primarily and Joel. And the early church knew nothing of actually the 27 books of the New Testament. They had the 39, but that number is actually probably a little different than 39 since some of those books were one in the same. Like First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, they were one book. But he's saying, 
to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ through the Old Testament. Go to Isaiah. Go to Psalm 23, 22. Teach the gospel from the Old Testament. I think that's important for us to see. Also, rebuking. What does he mean when he says rebuking? Well, it's rebuking unto repentance. The reason the preacher speaks warning from the Word of God is that people would hear the Word of God and turn from their wicked life and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance. You hear the Proverbs say in Proverbs 15.31, He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. And of course, there's that confrontation. Remember when Nathan the prophet came to David? after he had committed Bathsheba, uh, adultery with Bathsheba and murdered her husband, Uriah, this is what David said after he was rebuked by the word of God through the prophet Nathan, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. The Apostle Paul wants Timothy not to forget that. Rebuke, teach, but also there's the idea of correction, of correction. Correction for what reason? Well, correction unto right doctrine and life. Right doctrine and life. Or as the psalmist says in Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Why would you need a lamp or a light to your path? It's because it's dark. And that's what the word of God helps us do. It helps us to navigate our heart, which can be quite darkened in certain situations. It could, it could help navigate certain particular relationships that we have and bring light to it. Otherwise, there would be darkness and no ability to correct. But the Word is there to help correct us before we go down that path too far. That we might see, oh, this is a treacherous path. I, I might fall to my death. And the, word, the, the light of the Word shows that and corrects us from that path and we turn from that path. And we begin to walk again on the path of righteousness. So it needs to be treasured up in our hearts. That's where it needs to be to help us walk along life's roads. And to discern life's treacherous and deadly roads. Of course, there's the wonderful proverb from the father. And he's, he's correcting his son and giving the equipment to help him to continue to correct his own steps when he says to his son, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Is that not a word of correction? A father speaking to a son Live like this and you will be able to avoid the ugly pitfalls of your own heart. The Word of God would be there to correct you, but impress it upon your heart and upon your mind. Or continue to meditate on it day 
and night. And of course, there's a training for righteous living. That clearly the psalmist in Psalm 119 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, that I might live righteously. And then Titus, this is Paul speaking to Titus, who's going to a quite a messy church in, in the island of Crete. He says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright, and, and godly lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us, redeemed us from all wickedness and purified for himself a people who are his very own, eager to do what is good. You see, the meditation upon God's word is to create in you a heart that's eager to do God's word. But if you don't have God's word in your, in your heart, how can you be eager to do God's word? If you don't know him and his voice, how can you be eager to do his word? Because you are God's workmanship, are you not? Created in Christ Jesus to do what? Well, the same thing that Paul says here, he says in Ephesians, to do good work. And he says to Titus, to minister the decrees, to do good work. But if it's not in us, if it's not on our lips, how can we do good? Godly good, good by faith in Christ Jesus. Well, I know our time is, is done, but Bible memory for meditation and practice. How do you do it? Well, first have a plan. We have a plan in the church. We're going to do it once a month, one biblical text that not only you can memorize, but you can meditate on deeply and look like one of those Jewish guys at the wailing wall continuing to mutter with your lips, you know, all scripture is God-breathing, useful for teaching, rebuking, and keep doing that. But more importantly, keep applying. So we have a plan already for you. Or you can have a fighter verse plan. I have the little fighter verses, and there's like 250 passages in this, in this fighter verse, an excellent source. Other, another way you can do it, write out your verse. If you're having a heart, if you're not good at memorizing, because I believe everybody can memorize. Some of us are better at memorizing, others are not. But all of us can memorize because you exist, Right? If you exist and have a job, you obviously can memorize. Um, if you know English, you've actually memorized a lot of words. So we know that you can memorize. If you know language, you can memorize. Every one of us can memorize. But one of the ways to help is to write out the verses that can help. Memorize the verse word perfectly. That's another one that can be helpful. It won't be perfect later on, but it's really good to get it down perfectly. Also, find a method for accountability. Maybe some of you are already in a relationship where you're praying with someone, reading the Word of God with someone. Why don't you add biblical memory and meditation to that relationship? It's a good way to keep you accountable. And lastly, what I find that if I'm in, in going to have that memory stick, I need to be reviewing and meditating every day upon that passage again and again and again and again. People of God, may God richly bless you in the meditation of his word. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we are thankful for your word. We ask that you would take your word and impress it upon our hearts, but that we would take it up and we would pray over it. We would speak it to our own hearts. And that, oh, Holy Spirit, 
that you would sear it upon us so that not only do we know it, but we hunger and thirst to live it. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.